I've decided to be a financial advisor first for myself because I really want to correct myself. I'm very curious, what does being financially literate look like? What does being financially free feels? So I've been really wanting to have that kind of experience. Welcome to Where the F Am I Heading? The podcast where meaningful conversations take place as we traverse the complicated life of adulthood. If you feel lost and troubled, our show aims to help shed some light on your life's concerns. Join your hosts, Ruth and Irene. Let's talk adulting. Hi, Irene. Hi, Ruth. How are you? I'm really good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. So we have another episode of Where the F Am I Heading? And today, as we all know, we love talking about anything related to adulting. So we are going to talk about money. My favorite topic. Yes, should be everyone's favorite topic. So for today's episode, we invited a financial advisor. The good thing about it is that he has a different approach when it comes to financial advisor. That's why he caught our attention. He's the guy behind the minimalist financial advisor. And without further ado, let's call Vian. Hi, Vian. Hello, Vian. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to our show. So how are you today, Vian? I'm fine. That's good to hear. So you are in Pasay right now and... Everything's like work from home, I guess, because of the tiny bubble lockdown that I just heard earlier. Yes. <laughs> but this topic, you know, it's very interesting because as a failed minimalist, I want to get back into that. So now, you know, I'm really excited that you will be in our podcast today so I could ask a lot of things and why we learn a lot of things from you as a minimalist financial advisor. Yes. Thank you for the opportunity then, Miss Irene and Miss Ruth. Let's start first with a short introduction. Can you give us a brief background of yourself, Vian? Hello, everyone. I'm Vian Santillan. I'm the founder of the Minimalist Financial Advisor under Sun Life of Canada, Philippines. So I started this journey. I started this page last February 6, 2021 as a thriving minimalist. So I, I still fail every once in a while towards this lifestyle. And I want to focus more on minimalist finance. So more of my clients that I get from the page are also thriving minimally. So the vision is aligned with that kind of goal. So minimalist lifestyle. I first discovered minimally since 2019, but I did not intentionally go with this kind of lifestyle. I only commit to myself this year when I saw Sir Matt de Avila's documentary film, Minimalist, Less is Now, Less is More. So I started following him. And then for me to be intentional with this kind of journey, I started the page so that I can monitor myself if I am on track. So every time I, I get wisdom from him, I've been watching him every day. I post it to the page and then I create contents. I write all of those learnings that I have been getting from reading books, from watching blogs about it so that I can monitor myself. So that's the history of why I, I became the minimalist financial advisor. 
So it's cool that you started the page to become like accountable into something, you know, like mm -hmm. to commit into something without like cheating on yourself because we tend to do that. Like I tend to pretend that I was a minimalist and it was like terrible. It was really a terrible feeling because I would say, you know, I'm a minimalist and things like that. But then I would just sneak in and buy something. And, you know, the next thing I know, there's like someone knocking on the door. It's like delivery and, and it's, <laughs> but it's good. It's good that you, you start something to be accountable for you and inspire others. Yes. When I started also, 2019, I started with the decision of maybe on my closet, on the, the choice of my clothes. So I started with that. But on the spending habit, I still fail. I still, fail. I still have a lot on my cart. So it's a two years journey. So if you're thriving, it's okay. It's okay. You still fail and then get back up and gather yourself again and stay on track. So maybe that's a uh, baby steps. Nobody is perfect. So no one even do it perfectly. And then that's the the way of life. Yeah, and it's a good because you mentioned you started. It's a decision. That's why you were able to start because it's important that you have to decide first that you're going to do it. Otherwise, there won't be any commitment, right? You were like. Today, you will be minimalist. Tomorrow, we will order a lot. And then the other day, you will be a minimalist. You know, there's no consistency. There's no decision. Yes. Consistency also. You mentioned consistency. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing in everything. Be consistent. Even in small ways. You can start at least one habit that will keep you on track with the goal. So consistency is really, really plays a big, big part in this journey. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned you were following someone that inspired you to do that. Can you repeat it? Which movie was that? Sir Matt de Avila, Minimalist Less is Now and Minimalist Less is More. So you can start if you wanted to, to mm. be really pursue this kind of lifestyle. You can start on that documentary film. You'll get a lot of wisdom that is really applicable, that is practical to you. And you can adapt in your system little by little. Where is it available? Like, where can we watch? Netflix. Okay, cool. I just, I think I'm following their two guys, the minimalists. Mm. I think they are the one, right? I've yes, been following yes. them, I think, for more than three years now, but <laughs> I'm not being I, I followed them before. And Tita Maricondo. I even joined some minimalist Facebook group and with the clothing, I have no issue with it. Most of the time that I spend my money on is probably gadgets. But I'm starting again. So I really want to learn from you, to be honest, how, how yeah. you were able to commit onto something. And it's not too late. It's not too late for everyone. Yes, it's a trial and error. Life is trial and error. Yeah, and I think you also mentioned earlier that you decided to do that to monitor your spending habits. So monitoring your spending habits is also important so you can see how or where your money is going. Yes. So regarding the, the money part, we'll talk about more of that later on. Let's move on to the question. So why did you decide to become a financial advisor? I decided to become a financial advisor because last 2018, I failed massively in finances. I've been earning a lot. And then 
I started the business. I resigned from my job 2016 and then focus on building my business. Up to 2018, it expands. It really earns massively more than 10 times of what I've been earning from my employment. But the mindset that I have while I am an employee, I did carry it while doing business. I, I still expect same income every month. I still expect same habits every month while I am an employee. If you're an employee, your income is stable regardless of you do well on your performance in the company. But in business, if you do have some downtime, you're not earning money. So that's business. It fluctuates. If you do well, you'll get a lot. If you do not do well, you'll just get less. That's a business. And then that's the fluctuation also. So I adopted my mindset back then. I still expect the same flow of income every month. And then I don't even know the word emergency fund. Well, I'm doing business. Mm-hmm. 2016 to 2018, I'm not really financially literate. I'm I'm earning a lot of money, but I'm spending more than that every month. For example, I'm earning 200,000 a month, but I'm spending 80,000 a week. That's really a failure for me. So, and then I did not monitor. I I started to open a lot of businesses which requires my focus. I opened seven businesses all at the same time. Food cart, clothing, everything. So that's total of seven businesses. And then I'm the one who founded all of those. And time gets that I cannot spend enough time. I cannot dedicate enough time for all of those. And then my employees would just rely on me, on my decisions. So I did not also think during that time that I had built my business from 2012 to 2018 because I started freelancing 2012 to 2016 before I resigned from my job. So I started, I built my first business for six years without realizing that on 2018, opening seven businesses is too much for me. So I had spread myself too thin. And then every time I get money, I, I spend that on opening new business, new business. And then it did not earn so much because my focus was not on those other businesses. So mm-hmm. my employees would just rely on what, what decision I will make for them. And then no income, no income flowing. And then eventually I'm into debt for around 2 million pesos. So wow. that was the most heartbreaking, my rock bottom moments. Because mm-hmm. at the age of, that was I was 28 during that time. And then I, I could not imagine. I ha- I've been carrying that much of stress at that age. Actually, I, I did lose almost everything. All of the businesses, even the business that I had built for six to eight years. So I, I had lost all, all of those. And then end up into negative, negative cash flow because I, I've been owing two million pesos business loans. And that's because of the bad spending habits. I don't even consider insurance as an investment. I don't even consider any other form of investment except businesses. So that's a cost that I need to pay in order for me to learn what I have learned now. And it's worth it. It's worth it. But the stress, I don't want to go back to that kind of stress. The depression, the anxiety, it's really not pleasing. So mm-hmm. I don't want to, to be back in that state. That's why I've decided to be a financial advisor 
first for myself because I really want to correct myself. I'm very curious, what does being financially literate look like? What does being financially free feels? So I've been really wanting to have that kind of experience. And it's been two years already and the, the journey is worth it. So that's the backstory of why I become a financial advisor. For that two years, I have been meeting a lot of different people. I had almost 120 clients right now and almost all of the, their experiences are mostly the same with what I had experienced. Not at same levels, but the process. They, they had really undergo that kind of stress and anxiety. So all of them are been craving for peace of mind. Yep. I just want to ask out of curiosity, what made you decide to open up seven businesses at the same time? Because I want money. I want to have more money. I'm wondering how's your debt right now? You mentioned that you owe around two million. I've been paying it monthly, but I had paid almost half of it. But at least there's progress. Yeah, it's better than negative, you know, at least you're moving forward and, and oh. that's good. And also, I've been very intentional to be debt-free. At least this year will be the second year. I, I want to be really debt-free debt this year. So I've been working so hard to prioritize all of my debts. And then I've been cutting personal expenses. And also, I've been doing my best to do well in my business and also in my financial advisory business. And, and those businesses you mentioned... Did you cut them off or you still continue doing them? I cut them off. All of them. I just leave my main business, which is the accounting business, accounting and tax business. Because that's my forte, my knowledge, skills, and experience. That's what I have. So when I started again, I, I, I'm from Davao. And then I leave Davao. I started here in Manila from negative. Because during that time, when I failed in my businesses, I had read something that you cannot heal in an environment where you got sick. I agree. So I need to move out and then start anew here in Manila. Fresh beginning. Yes, yes. So what are the common misconceptions about financial advisors that you've encountered? I had encountered from my clients that they had consulted a lot of financial advisors, but those advisors would insist what they want. So the main goal of a financial advisor is to really evaluate, is to really analyze what the client needs. So other advisors would push the clients to, to get to get this kind of product without the pure intention of really helping the client, but just for their self-gain. Commissions. That's a common struggle for almost all of financial advisors because some financial advisors are really not pure with their intentions. I forgot to ask, what is a financial advisor? Financial advisor is your accountability body in terms of your personal finance. So if you have some decisions to make with regards to your finances, with regards to investing, with regards to your retirement planning, you can hire a financial advisor. But that financial advisor is licensed under an insurance company. So the journey starts with securing your future, which is the insurance. And then eventually you will go to the next ladder, which is the investment planning and the retirement planning. You'll have a lot of milestone in your life. So you'll need to prepare for it financially. So a financial advisor can help you what investment is fit for that kind of goal. 
So for every goal, there is a different kind of investment platform. So for example, if you're planning to travel abroad and then you own, you need that money for good for three years, you can set aside for that into an investment platform, which is, for example, bond fund. You can invest that money into an investment platform that will only beat the inflation rate. Because as financial advisors, we have access to different kinds of investment trainings. So we can help you be clear what investment type because not all investment applies to everyone. For example, stock market, it, it doesn't even apply to me. I don't even invest in the stock market, but I am more comfortable with mutual funds. So I'm more comfortable with business, real property. How about that, let's say, parents? I've heard about, you know, parents putting money aside for the education of their kids, which is called education mm-hmm. funds. Do they have to yes. start it when the kids are really young? Or like, what's the maximum or minimum age limit? It's better to start upon birth because you have enough amount of time to save for that. For example, you're saving for his Edu fund. That's 20 years. And then upon birth, you decided to invest your money consistently, even the small amounts. You have 20 years to save for that Edu fund. For example, you'll need around 3 million for the four-year course. The 3 million will be spread for 20 years. So that's the that's the best part about saving money early and planning financially. And also, for example, if what if you will start at around 10 years old? So you for the 3 million, the 3 million will be fixed. That will be the amount you'll need to to for the EDUC fund. So 3 million, you'll only spread that for 10 years. So that's that that's very heavy for someone starting. And what if, let's say, you're thinking of not really the expensive school, just around maybe, mm-hmm. you know, 500,000, uh, something like that. This is based on my, my experience, by the way, because I'm thinking about my sister. I've started with just putting money in her savings account, which doesn't do anything really, to be honest. Well, I'm consistent with putting money from two years ago, but she still have six years of high school before she get into college. So is it? Too late, really, or could I start? You should first identify the goal. For example, you need 500,000. So you'll have to divide it for six years. And then for you to be on track with your goal, you'll need to save that amount every year consistently. But you need to invest it not in the bank because that's a long-term goal. So you should find other investment platform that you'll earn money or you'll not lose its value. So it's not ideal for if you're saving for a long-term goal in the bank because you're losing almost 3% every year. Yes. That 3% you lose is actually like the fluctuation, isn't it? Difference. Or the difference. Yeah. So people think when they put money on the bank, they think like, oh, I'm earning interest. But in reality, the value of money itself is like decreasing instead of, you know, increasing. Well, expand that on the questions in the saving money. Yeah. Based on what I'm hearing, what you were trying to say is that it's better to start investing or getting an insurance earlier on so that the monthly premium or the one that you're paying monthly will be lesser compared if you will start later on. So in terms of spending that money, at least it would be lesser compared if you will start late. So that's what I was getting from what you said. Yes. 
Let's move on to the next one. If it's important to get an insurance with investment or this kind of financial help, why not everyone are having access to financial advisors? Mm. It has been questioned to me recently. If it's a good product, why not everyone is getting it? The same with, we've been very financially aware in terms of social media presence about financial advisors. But um, some horrors about financial advisors take hold on them. And then also for the cases about insurance companies. So th- those beliefs, those limiting beliefs had been taking off hold. Why most people don't want access, don't intentionally get an access from financial advisors. And also the topic about money is really a sensitive mm-hmm. topic for almost everyone. And maybe if they would just open some possibilities or within themselves that they need help. Because if you really have to get access from those financial advisors, don't limit yourself into one financial advisor only. For every client that's been asking, I always recommend to at least talk to three financial advisors and then look for those that you are comfortable to talk with. Because money is, is a very sensitive topic and money is one of the most important part in in our life. So we need to have someone that we can be comfortable to talk about it. That's most of the reasons why most people don't want to really get the access about. They know that it can help them, but it's taking hold on them because of those intentions from others about self-gain. Yeah, I think it has something to do with trust issues because let's say it's your hard-earned money and then you will trust it into someone, right? And what if this person doesn't really mean helping you? They just after commissions that they will get. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Moving on to the next question is, how is minimalist financial advisor different from other financial advisors out there? Because you mentioned earlier that personally, you would like people to talk to at least three financial advisors. So how are you different from the others? Minimalist financial advisor, I decided to be more focused on this niche because I can relate. I want to have an audience that are also thriving to be minimalist. A lot of those are asking, they've been trying, but they keep on failing. So I can relate to them for two years. And even today, I am still thriving. So I want to be focused on that kind of audience where I can give advices more than finance. I can give Mm -hmm. advices about the journey. We can process the experiences And also we can develop habits that can become part of our system. So if people are failing on those habits that they've been trying to form, maybe it's not because of them. Because most people are are really hard on themselves. And they don't realize that it's just their system that they need to correct. So that's why minimalist financial advisor is not just focused on finance, but the overall lifestyle itself, the overall journey itself. And I want to be surrounded by that kind of clients. Yes, I love that. It's like there's the purpose in there. And if we're going to look at it, being a minimalist is a start of that journey. Because it's not only about 
minimalist in terms of money and all that, but your habit in like looking at the way you spend your money, what are the things you have in your closet? What are the things inside your fridge? You know, because you might be acquiring a lot of things that you don't necessarily need. And if you are minimalist, it's also a mindset. It should start in there before you can look into the financing side of your life. So that's really a great idea in there. Yeah. So now let's talk about saving money. For you, what's the right way to save, especially for someone who's not good at it? I can talk about my journey and also all of the clients that I have met. Almost all of us are not really good at our finances. So maybe the best way is if you want to really correct yourself about being a financially literate, the journey should start into being intentional. Also, minimalist lifestyle is simply saying intentional living. So you should first identify What do you value? For every purchase, is it worth it? So that's the first. You should first identify your cash flow and your spending habit. That's a very basic part. You should record. Uh, you can start in the app, Money Manager. I've, I've been using that for almost two years already. So if you're recording your expenses, it means that you are setting an awareness on where did your money go. Do not limit yourself into spending yet. Maybe three months. You should be aware for where your money is going. And then on the next three months, you should list on what are the necessary and what are not. And then build a budgeting strategy. If your operating expenses or your needs says that you are spending around 50% of your income for your needs, And that's it. So you should settle for it. And then you should identify the next 50% of your income. Maybe you'll invest 30% and then 20% for your wants. The most important part is to really identify how much is the percentage for your needs. Because your needs is what you need to in order for it to function every day. So first is to list for around three months consistently. Even the smallest amount, you should balance your cash and bank your cash cash on hand every single day. So I've been doing that every end of the day or before I sleep. I record everything, even the peso or the nine pesos transportation, I, I record it. And then for three months, I'll observe where does my money go? How much percentage is going to the transportation? How much is going to the food? How much is going to my wants? So you'll need to observe it. And then after three months, then you can set a budgeting strategy. You should set aside portion for the needs. And then the other, you should allocate into something that will be aligned to your goal. If you have a long-term goal, then you should identify how much money do you need for that and then divide it based on the timeline. And next is maybe declutter. Declutter your house. Because as Marie Kondo said, if you're not comfortable with where you live or with the space that you have, you're not really living. So your house should be the source of happiness. So it should not be a source of stress and anxiety. Decluttering really helps. Their strategy is to, to, to box everything. And then after one week, if you don't really need that box, so you can donate. I've been selling stuff when I started. So it helps also in building my finances. Just keep trying. And then look for people that you can be accountable for. A financial advisor can help with that. You know what's interesting? You mentioned about decluttering. And I learned it a hard way because 
So the first time I stayed in an apartment, like that's just me, you know, I'm accountable for apartment, what I'm bringing inside the apartment and stuff like that. And I realized, because now I'm going to move and I realized that I've got so plenty of things from every corner of the apartment that I haven't used for a very long time. And now, you know, I'm kind of pissed at myself because I hate letting go of things because, you know, when I grew up, I had nothing. And now it's like, I can see money going to either junk or I'm selling them half price, which is really tough for me. What I can bring to the next apartment is very little because I really want to start with that bare minimum stuff. But to be honest, it's, I don't know why I have those things, but I know once I get rid of them, I will get rid of some habits because now I learned it the hard way that no, I don't need those things. Yeah. And we end, as I said, a lot of good pointers out there. Of course, the money management app, because it's easier for you to track your finances and also decluttering. And for all you know, you can have extra money out of those old stuff that you're not really using, right? Yes. Also, every time you purchase a stuff, my, my strategy is to really think if the amount of that stuff is worth my time. For example, I'm earning around 2000 a day. If that amount of, for example, I'll be purchasing 2000 amount of stuff, is that worth the one day of my work? And every time you purchase, you should think that that should be the amount of time that you can save in the future. You can spend that amount of time in the beach or with your 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 family or friends so yeah that, that helps so whatever works it's okay <laughs> justifying that purchase and the idea of measuring the time it's really a great idea because people are not really giving value of their time you know where we're, it's like oh, i'm still too young i still have a lot of time but what pandemic has taught us is that time is really valuable and it's like you have to equate your money with your own time, right? So let's move to the next one, which is what's the best way to start? Because you were saying about you tried lessening your expenses, but which should go first? Is it increasing income or lessen expenses? With regards to that, you should look what opportunity is available. If you have an opportunity to increase your income, go for that. And also, at the same time, be aware of your spending so that you'll know what expense to lessen. If all of your expenses right now is part of your needs to function every day, so there's no need to lessen your expenses. And also, what you should focus on is to increase your income. So if there are no opportunity available to increase your income, then that's a time that you should lessen whatever expenses that you have. And also, by starting that, if you have debts, you should pay off debts at the very small amount. For example, there are clients that are asking, they have a lot of debt, and then they don't know what to do. And then all of those lenders that they owe, they can really pay off the amount that is required for them to pay. So what's the baby steps for that is to us to talk to those to those people that we owe the money and then be very honest with your situation. So do not pretend that you can pay this kind of amount of money at this period, but you can really pay. Just be honest that this is the amount that I can and then I will be responsible for it. 
every month. They're just human. They can understand your situation. So be very honest with them. That's the first part. So if you have debts, and then next is to be aware with your spending. You should be the one telling where your money should go. It's not the one should be telling you to, to work more, to be spending this kind of amount every month. So you should be aware of your spending. That's the second part. Those are the steps. You should be aware of the opportunity for income to increase. And then next is to, if you have debts, pay off them. And then the third one is to monitor your spending. And then the fourth one is to really save for your emergency fund. Emergency fund is really important because you don't know when will be the next crisis will happen. You either lost your job or you get uh, medical expenses. So those emergencies really cost a lot. So you should be saving for that. At least six months, six months of emergency fund. So that's a secure fund. If you're a student or those who are still on their first job right now, if you want to really pursue what do you want in life, you should first build up your emergency fund before jumping into something. Because if you jump immediately, you can pursue whatever you want, but with stress and anxiety with it. So if you want to pursue whatever you want, build a secure fund. That's your financial safety net that when all else fails, you have a safety net to catch you. Yeah, that's good. I just want to mention, because usually us Filipinos, once we get a salary increase, almost instantly, the lifestyle increases as well. So it's like, oh, I got a 2,000 bonus. Okay, let's buy this, let's buy that. So automatically, almost instantaneously, we also inflate our lifestyle. Instead of like, okay, you have an increase in your income, where should you put that money? Yes, that happens to me before. Yeah, and then that's common because we're not really aware of the financial literacy, right? Also, you mentioned about the students or those who just started or even those who are earning minimum wage because it's sometimes it's really hard to save if you are just earning enough but if you will be let's say saving at least 20 pesos a day and you are saving that lately as long as there's a habit it will come a long way it may not be as high as you want it to be but at least there's a habit of saving money so if there's something or if there's an instance that you would need that extra cash, there is something that you can get out of the pocket, right? Or wherever you put that, you know, in Alcancha or piggy bank, right? Yes, yes. And, you know, I just want to share something about like saving thing and, and this, like what Ruth said. When there's an increase of income, the lifestyle increase, you know, the expenses. So as someone who works overseas for a very long time, so there's a lot of people thinking I've got plenty of money and I'm earning, of course, I'm earning more than some of them, but I want my expenses to be as flat as possible. Like, but my income is okay to be up and down, but the expense is always low. Yeah, and there's like, at the end of the day, you're the one working for the money. You're the one working hard. So it's your time, it's your energy. So it's your decision where to put your money. But you have to be mindful of where are you putting on what period of your life. Because you may be... Yes, telling yourself that, okay, this is my money. I've worked hard for it. But you're not preparing for the future, for yourself. You don't know what's going to happen. And we're not like old people telling you what to do. We're just telling you, like sharing, you know, insights here that all of us can learn from. 
that's the culture that we need to correct. Because most people see success as all of those material things that we have. We need to correct that kind of mindset. Our generation is striving to, to correct that. This is my favorite mindset, by the way, about money. Because I've thought a lot of kids, especially my relatives, about saving money means like whatever they save, I double it. That's how I can motivate them to save. I want them to learn as early the benefits of saving because I never had that same opportunity. Yes. So now let's go because I was browsing your page, The Minimalist Financial Advisor, and one of your posts say that if you're saving, the instrument you're putting your money into must be lower than the inflation rate. And this is something that we've already touched on earlier on. So what does it mean on a layman's term? Inflation rate right now in the Philippines is around 4%. And then if you're saving your money, inflation rate meaning the increase in value of the goods every single year. So that's the average, 4% every year. So for example, years ago, your 100 pesos can purchase a cinema ticket. But now you can only purchase a drinks or a milk tea. That's the simple definition of inflation. So if your money, if you, you are saving consistently, for example, in the bank, your money doesn't earn 1% above in the bank. So for example, you have saved a good amount of emergency fund in the bank and then you're still saving your excess funds in the bank you are losing the value of it every year around 3%. So for example, you have 100,000 in your bank account, but the value of it can only be accounted for around 97,000. Whatever you can buy for 100,000 this year, next year, you can only buy the amount of goods for around 97,000. Because the value of that goods, for example, a laptop uh, this year is around 100,000. So you have the money, 100,000 in your bank, so you can buy that laptop. But next year, the value of that laptop is around 104,000. So you have a deficit of around 4,000 because of the inflation rate. So your money is losing the value. The same laptop, the same specs, but it already cost you more than whatever you are saving. So you should be investing it. How much is the minimum amount you can save for emergency fund? Because people doesn't really think about this. Three to six months of your living expenses or your income. For example, you're, you're earning uh, every month 50000 So you can save up to six months. So that's 300000 So anything in excess of 300000 you should invest it somewhere else. Insurances, mutual funds, real property, or business, or stocks. So those are the other uh, diversification of your money. Mm-hmm. So I have a question regarding inflation rate. Does it fluctuate? Like, for example, this year it's 4%, next year it would go down to 2%, or it's always upwards? It's working around 2 to 5%. 2% last year, but it goes back to 4%. This year, pero way back, it's around 5%. So it's working around na 2 to 5%. So you should be looking for investments that are earning more than 5% or 4%. So the higher the inflation rate, is it better for people or not? It's not because, you know, because your money is losing the value. 
Mm-hmm. The higher the inflation, the lesser the value of your money. But it's required in the economy. So we should live by that. We should be wise you know, where, where we can put our money. That's already package of our economy, of our, of our life. So you mentioned about mutual funds. This is more like for my mother. Where do you think can she get mutual funds? Like where can she invest them? There are companies. Sun Life. Okay. Sun Life is one of it. Mutual funds are pulled funds from a lot of investors and then invested into a company. So there are a lot of fund allocation, equity, index, and bond fund. Bond fund are invested in government stocks and then equity are invested into companies in the stock market or in the in the private companies. And then index fund is invested in the stock market. So whatever is publicly listed in the stock market, so there the company invests. And then also, you get there are other forms of mutual funds. There are also insurances that are offering allocation of it to be invested in a mutual fund. For example, VUL. VUL is an insurance product, but it has a savings component wherein, for example, portion of your money is going to the insurance premium and then you are also saving. VOL is a good product for those starting because it's a self-sustaining product. Whereas you are, from the start of your policy, you are already saving money for you to sustain your insurance premium on the 11th year onwards. And then at the same time, you are also growing your money. And it has 5 to 10 years maturity. Yes, yes, yes. How about the bond? Is it safer? Safer because it's a government. But it's only beating the inflation. Mm, so it's just like I've got my eyes on re- lately is the Pag-ibig MP2. Yes, yes, yes. Pag-ibig MP2 is earning around 5 to 6. So you're earning at least maybe 1% per year in excess of the inflation. So what are the process mainly? Let's use Sun Life as example. Because normally there's a requirements, right? When you are opening an account, what's, what's the process? Today, it's online application already. So you only need to submit the necessary requirements, application form to valid IDs and a selfie and also the initial payment. So that's only the process. It's not tedious. It's it's very easy. But there is a fee, right? Yes, yes. The initial premium. How much is the fee for it? It, it varies depending on the proposal, depending on the age and the health status. Because money doesn't buy insurance. Your age and your health does. So it depends on your age and your health status. If you're healthy, the cost is lower. So it's like it would still be run through a series of screening after you apply online. Yes, yes. Now let's move on to talk about the inflation. It's kind of big conversations. Is there a hierarchy to reach financial freedom? Yes, there is. So it's a step-by-step process. Number one is you should be aware. Awareness is the basic. And then next is your cash flow. You should do your best that your cash flow is healthy, which is you are earning more than you are spending. So that's the next one. And then the second one is to pay off debts if you have. That's the next one. And then the third one is to build emergency fund so that when emergencies happen, you will not fall into debt or your cash flow won't be disrupted. So that's the fourth one. And then the fifth one is secure insurances, secure your health and your life. Why securing your health is very important because 
illnesses cost a lot of money and you do you won't know when will it happen so at least someone else pays for you while you are paying for a small amount of premium every month so that's the the beauty of insurances also your life insurances are those that you had built when death came so your family are already secured with a guaranteed amount of money for example you're the income provider and then you are taken out of the picture at least you had left something for them to continue living and then to start a new life for example that money can be an instrument for them to start a business or to to finish their studies and then next one is diversify on your investments you should not focus only on one investment you should diversify Uh, my mistake before is that I focuses more on businesses. So that's why when all of those businesses fails, I was left for nothing, for zero. And then if I had only invested into real property or into stocks or mutual funds, maybe I had something to pay off my debt. And then be very clear with your goal in terms of finances. For example, you're saving for something, for travel, for house, for car. You should be aware of the amounts that you need for that. At least you won't wear yourself out working for something that you don't you don't know. You don't have a clear picture. So those are the steps for financial freedom. In having all of those equals to peace of mind. And they were called steps. So meaning one step at a time and not skip a step. So what if, like for example, someone who has already like missed a step who already bought a house or a car so meaning and has already paying something monthly and at the same time this person has a debt he or she has only like a single income source of income so based on what you have said the steps that you have said earlier if there's a debt pay off the debt first and then the emergency fund and then investment so for for this person who has this financial standing how he or she can work around it First is identification of your spending is very important. And then check on that if there is something you can lessen. And if you can lessen something from that list of expenses, you can allocate that amount into, for example, paying your debt. If you have also excess funds, that is where budgeting strategy will came in. So you can simultaneously pay off your debt build your emergency fund, and then secure your health and life. And also check if the amount you are paying, for example, if you have a car, but you don't really maximize the use of it, you can decide to sell it if it's okay with you. But you can work around with what you have, with, with your excesses, with your excess funds. So just try the, the portion allocation for, for the money that you have. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a great tip. Now let's move forward because this is very common in the Filipino culture, having a breadwinner. Usually, the breadwinner is the father. And if the father is no longer able to work, someone else will take in charge. Based on what you've seen, based on the, the stories of your client, how important it is to have more than one breadwinner in a family. Breadwinner is is like a hero. It's saving the whole family. But 
what if the whole family is helping each other to really get out of, for example, of debt or to really build a solid financial foundation. So based on my clients' stories that are experiences being a breadwinner, it's really, you know, it's really frustrating for most of them because most of the breadwinner of the family are the children because the parents did not prepare because of the mindset that also that they have or the culture that they have before that most of them, their children are their investments. As long as they're spending for their children, uh, it's okay not to, to, to save money. It's okay not to have insurances. It's okay not to have emergency fund. Because they have their children. And now, the children are becoming the breadwinners. The children are sustaining the family. And what most of us would do is just to focus on earning money instead of going into what we really love to do, what we are really passionate about. What happens is we couldn't really live life to its fullest because our focus is to earn money. That's the culture that we have right now. That's a sandwich generation. And if only that all of us are earning money, all of the members of the family are just like what Melai said, that we should be breadwinners. It is good to be a breadwinner, but it's good to have all of the members of the family that are breadwinners. So, for example, if you're focusing on building your solid financial foundation for yourself only, then whatever excesses that you can have, that's the time you can help other people. That's the time you can help your family, your, your immediate family and your community. But if you're shouldering all of the members, you're paying their living expenses, that's really frustrating and depressing. That's why most of our generation right now are suffering from mental health issues. Because aside from the financial aspect, the anxiety that they have is really draining them. So it's really important to have all of the family become a breadwinners. In addition to that, Sir Randall Johnson mentioned before in his webinar that if you are asking money from, for example, from, from your sister, you are robbing them of their future. You are robbing them of the future of their children that instead they can provide that money for the one that they gave you. They can provide a better future for their children. That's really relatable because I'm a breadwinner in our family. But I've changed it. I said it in a podcast that I want to end that cycle of parent support. I don't mind supporting my mom, but to the extent that I provide the necessities. No more than that. It means I will not support for a gambling habit. I will not support any drinking habit, smoking habit. I will not support any bragging habit as well. Like my daughter is now working abroad and, you know, we have this, we have that. No, I never condone those kind of attitude. That the thing about being a breadwinner is you really have to be the one responsible for the amount of money that you are providing for your family. It doesn't mean you will be so stingy. Just make sure that you have this enough funds for yourself as well. You don't give everything to them. You just make sure you teach them how to save and they work as well. Because what's happening is, I've seen this a lot of times, to be honest. When there's one family that get out of province and start working, it's like everybody back home cannot work anymore. Like they just rely on one person and it's hard for the person working. Yeah, and that's so saddening because I understand that breadwinners 
are having this superhero or savior mindset that I can take care of you and all that. But the thing is, we are not helping our family to live. We're not teaching them how to work for themselves, right? You're enabling them. Yeah, it's like you're not really passing the responsibility to them, but you're actually being or loving them in a way that you are helping them to prepare for their future. And and giving in to the request is actually helping them and supporting them with the habits that they're doing. And that's how they That's why as much as you can, if you can talk to people like financial advisor like Vien here, if you can talk to Vienna and see where you can really help your family in the future, right? I just have one last question before I pass it on to Irene. The concept of paying yourself first. Most of the time, those who are working, whenever we receive the salary, the first thing that comes in mind is, I deserve this. I want to order this food or this clothes or this whatnot because I deserve it. So it's like the concept of paying yourself first. But I want to ask, up to what extent we should think about paying it off ourselves first? Or is there a good way or a good side or a bad side of doing that? Paying yourself first comes in different forms. So I have asked that in the Facebook group also, the Bright Millennials. What are their forms of paying yourself first. So others mentioned about they set aside portion of their income for investments, for food, for for all of the, the Shopee finds in Lazada that are all valid. But you should set a portion of your income. For example, I, I've been practicing the 60-20-20 rule. 60% needs, 20% for saving for the future, and then 24% for the wants, which is they're paying yourself for calls, either for the future or for the ones. So you should you, you only need to, to set a budgeting strategy for that. For example, if you're paying yourself first is come in the form of 20% of your income, and that's okay. You should not exceed from that 20%. So if you have a goal, for example, what do you want to to buy is around 20,000, but your amount for or your allocation for your wants is for this month is 5,000. You'll be saving it until it, it came to a point that it reached the amount of 20,000. So that is what you call delayed gratification. That's a way about paying yourself first. Also, you should not deprive yourself whatever you want, at least save for it. And then buy it when you, you have the full amount. Do not get into debt just to buy something that, that you want. It's full of anxiety. <laughs> yeah, and then you can't really enjoy the thing that you bought when you know you, re- you still have to pay it every month. Yeah. What are the top three financial mistakes that most Filipinos make and how should we correct it? The common one is I only have small income. I cannot save forever. <laughs> I cannot save. For example, I'm earning 10,000 pesos. But why there are those people that are earning 5,000 but can save at least 1,000 a month and then you are earning 10,000 and it's very hard for you to save at least 1,000. So to correct that kind of mindset is to be aware of your spending. That's the only solution you can be. So that there you can identify what expenses to lessen. And then whatever expenses that you had lessened, you can save that amount. 
you can start saving that amount regardless of how small or how big the amount is. Consistency always beats intensity. So you don't have to wait for your money or your for your income to grow to at least 20,000 for you to start to save. Uh whatever you do at one thing, you do it everything. So in in all things. So if you're diligent in saving money when your amount is around 5,000, that is how you will do with your money when you're earning 10,000 or 20,000 or 30,000. It's really good to start when you are earning small because it's still manageable. So, for example, if you will get into promotion and then you will earn 30000 from 10000 to 30000 at least your lifestyle will stay at 10000 and then the 20000 can be spent for your other goals, short-term goals, long-term goals, and then for your future, for your retirement fund. And then... The next one is I don't believe in insurance. Uh, it's okay. It's 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 not religion. Uh, you should you should not really believe in insurance. Uh, insurance is a risk management tool. So if you want someone to pay for you when you risk happens, so that's a time that you should avail insurance, a risk management tool. So you don't need to believe on it. You only need to have at least that kind of tool for you. And number three, the last one is I can manage my money. That's the most mistake. Even me, when I have a business, I've been very confident that I can manage my money. But all of us has a blind spot. At least have one or two accountability body. In all aspects of your life, we don't live in this world alone. So we need other people to journey with us. So in terms of finances, you can even ask a friend, is this a good buy? And you can ask opinions. Maybe they can suggest better. Feedback, adjust, ask feedback, adjust. That's how we do life. And it's very exciting if we grow from there. So we can be... For example, we had correct whatever mistakes that we have right now. The the next years to follow is is really exciting. Really, really exciting. So from what I get to those three financial mistakes that Filipinos are making and then how you should correct it is one you said about saving. So when you save, don't half as it. Go all the way, all right? And number two is yes. insurance. <laughs> insurance, better to have it and not use it than need it and you don't have it right number three is like you can manage your finances but the truth is you can't because you have a blind spot and always have someone to actually brainstorm or talk about your decision what stick with me is when vian said that consistency beats intensity it can be applied not only for the money but in other aspects in our life yeah so we are at the end of it so do you have a social media or website that we could follow? Yes, follow me and my Facebook page, The Minimalist Financial Advisor. And also, I have one Facebook page that I had built last 2018 up to now, Millennial Startups PH. So those are the two pages that I have. And I want to be more consistent in, in those pages also for, for the audience that I have. So you can message me anytime. And also in my personal Facebook account, Vien Santillan, we can talk anything. We can talk anything about life, tax and finances. 
Wow, that was very, very interesting and relatable, and a lot of knowledge about finances. Actually, like when while we are talking, there's a lot of things in my head. Like I'm just exploding of information and things that I recognize as that things that I do wrong in terms of money. Well, I'm good at saving and preparing for the future, but it's not enough, and it will never be enough. That's the thing, because knowledge, you know, there's just a lot of knowledge that we should learn, especially with investment. There's a lot of great insights coming from Vian. That's almost like you would think, oh yeah, she has a point. You thought that you already know what you're doing, but in reality, there are other perspectives that you might be missing out on. That's why it's important to have good conversations, because you would really learn. And the value of financial advisor that yes. you don't really think of. We thought that like, oh, this person is only after commission mm. or whatnot. We have that wall, but in reality, there are financial advisors who are really after your welfare, right? Yeah, the people with good intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your intentions. So thank you so much, Vin, for sharing your expertise, your experience. And we want to talk to you soon about other stuff. Yes. So thank you so much, everyone, for staying, for listening to this episode. Again, this is a great episode of Where the F. Am I heading? This is Ruth. And this is Irene. See you next week. Bye. So that's all we have for you today. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in anything and everything about adulting, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at where.the.f.m.i.heading. Catch us again next Wednesday for another episode of Where the F Am I Heading? Where the F Am I Heading?